All right, welcome back, and uh, let's find our places and kind of get ready. If you have Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter number 3. We'll get to that in just a minute. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in the pew in front of you, and you can grab that and kind of prepare for the Bible study. We are in a series in 1 Peter. But before we do that, I just want to read to you something that I came across this week, and I thought it was appropriate. It is... Uh, on the theme of Mother's Day, and I happen to actually find it in a blog post. And um, so, if somebody else has maybe read it, then you know, hopefully, you'll you'll enjoy it as well. But just just on this occasion of Mother's Day, let me let me say this because there are times when days like this, when we really celebrate mothers and all the ways that they are a blessing and a help to all of us. Sometimes there's other sets of circumstances that ladies go through that would make what would be otherwise a celebration sometimes a challenge for them, depending on their personal circumstances. So this was well-worded, and I just want to read it to you. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. We did that this morning. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. And to those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we're better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way that you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths to those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. And to those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. That's fair. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expecting Expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. So we remember you. So regardless of where you find yourself in that list, just know that um, you're loved. Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's look in First Peter chapter number 3. And what we have been studying is this theme that used to be up there called suffering, which is the key to glory and the, and the path to glory. Um, but last week, as we have been walking through this book, and in the end of chapter number two, the theme that we saw was submission to human authorities. And we looked at governmental authorities, and we looked at occupational authorities, and, and we saw how that Christians are supposed to submit themselves willingly to these different areas of life that God defines as his delegated authority for certain areas. And and our willing submission to these existing God-ordained institutions demonstrate our actual submission to God 
Almighty in our lives. And since our human authorities are manned by sinful human beings, um, frequently we find ourselves suffering at the hands of circumstances that are not always pleasant. Required to submit to people and situations that aren't always very positive. And so we suffer. Today, that same theme continues, but it continues into the realm of family relationships. And if you were to glance at 1 Peter chapter 3, the very first word is likewise, showing the connection from the theme of chapter 2 continuing in to chapter number 3. And so what we're going to see today are three critical interpersonal relationships that each require the attitude of submission. And as we jump into it, in the spirit of Mother's Day, we will start with ladies first, okay? So if you will follow along, I will read the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Let's ask the Lord to be our teacher and we'll jump into the details of these verses. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we are humbly grateful that you did not leave us here to our own accord. You did not leave us without instruction. You have given us your holy word, and your holy word is written, perfect, pure, preserved, so that we can understand it. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be our guide and our teacher, that he would bring us to the full understanding that we need. And I pray for each and every one that you have brought here today, that regardless of their personal situation and interpersonal relationships, that that they, each and every one, would find the specific application that you know and they know because you've revealed to them that they might need to make. And whether it's just a time of rejoicing that, that things are going well as we walk with you or whether it's a time of great challenge because of the circumstances we find ourselves, Lord, may you give us strength and may we have the strength to just surrender and, and, to, and to give it over to you as an act of faith knowing that regardless of what we think, regardless of how we judge, your judgment is always right. Your plan is always best. And so lead us, I pray, that we would honor you in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing, of course, is going to be then, obviously, submissive wives. Submissive wives. And this covers six verses. 
And um, just so, you know, the husbands don't nod off, we'll get to you guys. Okay, we'll get to that later. Um, But we're going to see, likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands. And, And just for the record, understand the scope of this subjection. It is to your own husbands. It's not to everybody's husbands. It's not to men in general. Okay, the Bible is very specific about how it addresses this situation. And so we're going to look at two characteristics. Two main characteristics that are addressed in this passage. And the first one is influence. And we see that in the first couple of verses. Now, the the way we're going to start this off is by describing some circumstances that it says that if any obey not the word, speaking of the husbands. So the wives are to be in subjection unto their own husbands, and specifically those husbands that fall in the category of those that obey not the word of God. So... You must ask yourself, why is it that all of these examples about learning submission and subjection always seem to deal with difficult authority figures? Why is it that all these examples that God gives us seem to be in the face of describing, well, if you have a master in your life, a boss, for example, that is froward, as we saw last week, or something like that, or or submitting to the king and the governments and those sort of things, if they're evil. Why is it that we always have these evil examples? Well, doesn't it make sense that that's really the only way that we learn biblical submission? Isn't that really the only way that we can put to test what God ultimately wants us to learn before him? I mean, face it, when all the circumstances are wonderful, and there are times when all the circumstances are wonderful, and I hope that's the case for you today, but when, all, when they're all wonderful, well, you know, submission is not a lesson to be learned. It's just, it's just naturally living life. It's, it's actually very easy. And so I guess the fair question for all of us to ask ourselves before we finish this lesson today is, are you interested in learning real biblical submission? Because if you are, what's going to happen is in one way or another, you'll find yourself in some challenging circumstances so that God can teach you those things. And it truly is worth it. So the specific application is disobedient husbands. Now, generally, the way that this is taught is for the circumstance where the wife is a Christian woman and the husband is not. The husband is an unsaved man that refuses to have anything to do with God or his word. But the Bible does not say that if her husband is lost. The Bible says that he doesn't obey the word. Now, don't raise your hands and embarrass anybody. But think in your mind, do do we not all know men who would say that they're Christians who are disobedient to the word, at least from time to time? In other words, there can be Christian wives who desire to walk with the Lord and do what's right, and they can be married to men who absolutely say, I know I've received the Lord Jesus, but the truth of the matter is they're not interested in obeying the word of God. So their husbands are disobedient to the word of God, and they find themselves in these situations. Sadly, there are a lot of women in these, in these situations, and so the challenge for them is to submit anyway. It goes on in the scripture, and it says, that they also may be, that they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, that sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Without the word 
and a conversation. How do you have a conversation without the word? Well, the first thing to understand is, is that the word conversation, as it's used in your Bible, it means far more than just necessarily verbal communication. It means actually your lifestyle or your conduct. So where you see conversation, you could replace it with conduct. And the thing I want to focus on is it says that they may be one. You can win over your disobedient husband with the proper conduct, ladies, in your life. And that's the lesson God's trying to teach us. So to be able to win over somebody, that's influence. That's influence. And so that's what God is trying to teach us. Listen, nobody has more influence over a family than a woman. The wife of a family typically carries an enormous amount of influence. And I would just ask you a question. Would you rather have the position or title of authority, or would you rather have real influence? Well, I think it's obvious. You'd rather have real influence. Whether or not it is given to you the job description and the title to have an authoritative role in some circumstance, if you really are influencing people, well, then you're the world changer. And so, The people who study leadership, and if you go to leadership seminars, the best simple definition of what real leadership is, leadership is influence. It's not a position, it's not a title, and it's not beating anybody down. Real leadership is influence. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves as we look at this is, is how should a godly woman exert influence? And the reason God has to tell us this is because like so many things in our lives, what happens is God's advice for us frequently is counterintuitive to what we would think. Why? Because we're sinful humans and and earthly human wisdom is nothing compared to godly wisdom. And so God gives us his wisdom to understand how a godly woman can exert her influence in her family under challenging circumstances. And the first thing that she should do is have what's called a chaste conversation. A chaste conversation. Now, simply that word chaste means to be pure or undefiled or uncorrupt. And again, conversation is conduct. So she will have the proper conduct that is pure and uncorrupted. Uh, Your mind might go to a contrasting principle in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 9 where it refers to somebody as a brawling woman. And the Bible says that it's better for a man to live in the corner of a housetop than in a wide house with a brawling woman. (laughs) Indeed, we can amen the scripture at any point, so I'm expecting there'll be some ladies amening before we're done. Okay, so that is true, and God warns us about these things. so, So ladies, take the tip that if your behavior happened to fall at times, into the brawling category, um, you're doing no good. You are not exerting influence. If you want to exert influence, you need to have chaste conversation. And it says chaste conversation coupled with fear. Coupled with fear. Now, just for the record, it is not fear of your husband. It is the fear of God. Literally, that's what it means. And in fact, we know that because if you glance down to verse number 6, it says in verse number 6, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid. So have fear, but be not afraid. Okay, well, the context is different because in with fear, that means with the fear of God. 
And so your chaste conversation needs to be coupled with the fear of God that ultimately gives you the strength and the understanding to be able to carry out the behavior that he wants you to carry out. Psalm 111 and verse number 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And ladies in this situation are going to need God's wisdom and strength to be able to behave in the way that God prescribes. And so they need to have the fear of the Lord. They need to have a chaste conversation. It needs to be coupled with fear so that they can know how they need to act in and among their family with their particular situation of a disobedient husband. And it says, without the word. Without the word. Now, I get it. This is the tough one. I mean, it really is a tough one. Because... God says that he will use this pure, submissive lifestyle or behavior to win over your husband. But God will not use a nagging tongue to do it. He will not use a nagging tongue to do it. And especially, can I say, a nagging tongue that quotes Scripture. Because if your husband is already disobedient, saved or lost, he's not interested in the word of God at this moment, okay? If you are harassing him and quoting scriptures at him, can you imagine how motivated he is to begin to love the word of God? And so God says, no, 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 that is not the way that it will work. I am the author of life. I know how I made those rascals. I mean, they fell, but I know how I made them. I know what will work. Trust me. Do it my way if you want to see results. Let me remind you in Proverbs 18 and verse 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a powerful thing. You need to realize that the words that you say, they can build people up and give them strength and vitality. And the words that you say can tear people down. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. Well, that's not exactly true, is it? Because words can hurt a lot. And in Proverbs 31, where we have this picture of the virtuous woman, in verse 26, it says, She openeth her mouth with wisdom, probably because she had the fear of the Lord, right? And in her tongue is the law of kindness. Well, that's what God can use. That's what God's going to do. So if you're a Christian woman and you're attempting, desiring to follow the Lord every step, and you're married to a man that is not interested in that, trust God enough to follow his prescription. That's your influence. And if it doesn't play out in your time frame, well, that's not your business. Trust God enough and exercise the influence that he has given to you. The second characteristic is now adorning. It's adorning. And we see this starting in verse number 3. And very clearly, what the adorning is not is fleshly. It is not the outward adorning. And so it talks about the plating of hair. Literally, they would weave strands of gold into their hairs. Or, or the putting on of the jewelry and, and the clothing, the high fashion and, and all of that kind of thing. And so whether it's hair and jewelry and makeup and and all that kind of stuff. He says, let not that be your adorning. 
Okay, so we got to talk about that for a second. I want you to understand, men and women alike, that the Scriptures use words very carefully. And the word that is not chosen here, it does not say, let it not be not your wearing. It says, let your adorning, okay? The word is adorning. And to adorn is different than to wear. Because it does not say, in other words, if it said, don't, don't do this, then that would mean, don't fix your hair, don't wear jewelry, oh, and by the way, don't wear clothes. So clearly, that's not what he's saying, The word adorning, right, it deals with this issue of an ornament, right? And so we'll see that in a second. So in the idea, in the spirit of what your adorning is not to be, it's not to be fleshly. So when the Bible talks about how you should adorn yourself, one very simple principle, and I know this is review for most all of you, is the simple word modest. Your adorning should be modest, Okay, 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 9. And it shows us very clearly that it should be adorned in modest apparel. Okay, so you shouldn't be going over the top. Well, really, what's immodest? Well, you understand. Anything that would be revealing. And sometimes, and because of the sin nature that we all have, okay, so, you know, a, a young lady may say, well, I, you know, I'm not going to wear clothing that reveals too much of my flesh. I'll make sure that there's clothing covering enough of my body, but they'll wear it so skin tight, you know, that you can see every bump and curve. And and so, you know, that is also potentially immodest, right? So you need to be very careful if your attitude is right, how you will choose to adorn yourself. And so this is, again, part of your subjection to the Lord. It is how God wants you to behave. And there's a reason for it. The idea is this, and just keep this in mind, and I realize we're talking about wives, but I'll just broaden the scope to single ladies as well, because if the outward adorning is your primary means of attracting a man, can I just tell you that you will then attract carnal men? Because if your primary means of attractiveness is outward, fleshly, Don't be surprised when the fleshly dudes come around. But on the other hand, especially unmarried women, of course, if you're desiring to attract spiritual men, well, you need different bait, right? You need spiritual bait if you want to get spiritual men to be attracted to you. Somebody should amen that. That was good. I mean, think about it. Just let that... Go just marinate on that for a while. That's good advice. Okay, listen. No question about it. Ladies, everybody appreciates that you care enough to make yourself look nice, especially for your own husband. That's a wonderful thing. But let me say that the outward beauty that you work very hard, to, okay, that, that should not be your best game. It should just be something that points to your best game, which, of course, is going to be the internal adorning. And so what it's not is fleshly, but what it is is godly. Okay, that's your next point. What it is is godly. And it's interesting because it says, it calls it, notice, it's addressing ladies. And it says, the hidden man of the heart. Well, that's funny, isn't it? He's talking to women. And he says, let it be the hidden man of the heart. 
Well, ladies, if you're a Christian lady, there's a man living inside of you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what the advice is, is let the life of Christ live from within and work its way out. Let your adorning be the hidden man of the heart. I've received Jesus Christ in my heart. Christ lives in me through his Holy Spirit. And it is an ornament. Think of an an ornament as an embellishment. It's something that's added beyond the necessary. And it defines it as a meek and a quiet spirit. A meek and a quiet spirit. And if you have a meek and a quiet spirit, then that beauty will last through your entire life. It will last until your 89th birthday, like it does with my mother, who turned 89 this week. A meek and a quiet spirit never fades, right? And so that's what you want to shoot for. That's what's going to constantly make you attractive to your husband. That's the thing that God emphasizes. So we understand that the outward adorning should draw attention to the inward adorning. That's what it should do. Like they say, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly's to the bone. <laughs> I mean, beauty fades, but ugly goes on and on. If you don't have inner beauty, look, all of us, all of us have known well, any human being, but we're in the context of ladies. All of us have known women who, when you just look at them outwardly the first time, they may be very attractive women. They may be in great physical shape. They may take great care to dress properly and look beautiful, and they look lovely. But when you get to know them, they have a mean spirit. And because as you get to know them, this mean spirit continues to exude out of a very lovely package. And what happens is your perception of that person, every time you see them, you think of them as less and less and less attractive. Isn't that the case? Well, on the flip side, it's also true. Because the truth of the matter is, most all of us are kind of average. I hope I didn't offend anybody by that. But we're, I mean, we're all okay, you know. But I mean, you know, the, the superstar beauties, they make a lot of money somewhere. But most of us are just kind of like everybody else. But it's that beautiful spirit on the inside. And when you meet somebody like that, man, they're the most beautiful people in the whole world. And listen, ladies, you need to know, guys know that. We know that. And so what's always going to keep the fire burning is the fact that your internal self exudes out. Nobody's saying don't dress nicely. Nobody's saying don't fix yourself. That's fantastic. But it has to point to the real thing. Somebody once said that a perfect marriage would be a blind wife and a deaf husband. (laughs) It says she should have a meek and a quiet spirit. But to be fair, it doesn't say a meek and a quiet mouth. It says spirit. It doesn't mean that a woman shouldn't have an opinion. Of course, that's ridiculous. It simply means that she has a calm 
way of conducting herself. And in the Bible it says, which is in the sight of God of great price. Which, ladies, should matter to you. If, if you're a God-fearing woman, regardless of your circumstances, it should matter to you that a meek and a quiet spirit is in the sight of God of great price. You know what that is? It's a matter of trusting in God. It says in verse 5, For after this manner in old time, the holy women of God also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves. So you're in good company. Taking this line of behavior, living your life this way, not fighting back, not arguing back, not having a nagging tongue, not going after your husband and pointing out every fault that he's got, living in subjection to what God tells you to do, obviously goes against your fleshly nature, so therefore it is an exercise of faith. So holy women of God have to trust in God to be able to pull this off. So the level of submission to your own husbands proves the same level of submission to God. And so God's watching. So we have two characteristics, but there is one example, and the example that's given is Sarah, the wife of Abraham. You remember the story back in Genesis chapter 12 where Sarah and Abraham go down to Egypt. And Abraham lost his mind, man. I don't know what he was thinking. It's the craziest thing in the world. You'll remember this story where they go down and certainly, you know, Sarah was a looker, man, and Abraham was, Abraham was worried. And so he's thinking, wow, I mean, these Egyptians, they're going to they're gonna want you, babe, you know. And, he said, and, and he's thinking for himself. He's not thinking about her. And he's like, and if you're with me, then what they're going to do is they're just going to kill me so they can have you. You know, dirty Egyptians. You know, that's what he's thinking. So he's like, let's make this plan. When we go down to Egypt, let's just say you're my sister. So, and, and, and it doesn't really expound, but you know the story. It's the, the idea is, oh, well, they can have my sister. You know, I'm not that invested in my sister, you know. And so let's just say you're my sister, and so that way they don't kill me. What do you say, Sarah? Okay, so now imagine you're Sarah, ladies, right? You're, yeah. Okay, so now you're going to exercise that meek and quiet spirit. Now, without the word, you're going to win your disobedient, and Abraham qualifies, disobedient husband. Not an unbeliever, by the way. Okay, so God points to this, and by the way, she did. She did that very thing. She submitted to that, and God stopped it. God stopped it so that evil didn't take place. Abraham was too stupid to know the right thing to do. But because she obeyed the Lord in her role and trusted in God to take care of it, God did take care of it. Now, I'm not saying that abuses don't happen in life. Sadly, they happen far too frequently. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord points toward this example. Because, ladies, if Sarah could do that, you can do whatever's facing you. It says that she called Abraham Lord. Small L. It's just a title of honor. It's a title of respect. And ladies, you know, men, your men, they need to know that you respect them. They need to know that. Even if they don't always act respectably. 
Because a disrespected man will get discouraged and resort to all sorts of foolishness, worse than maybe you've already witnessed. So the daughters of Sarah are those that do well. They behave biblically, and they trust God with all their situations, even the ones that might make you think that is amazing. I can't believe this crazy situation, for example, like Abraham and Sarah. So be a daughter of Sarah. Submissive wives. Well, it's not just the wives. Now it goes to the husbands. Verse 7. Oh, there's that word, likewise. So there's a level of submission that's important for the men. Likewise, you husbands. Right? Two characteristics. How men are going to demonstrate some level of submission. The first is knowledge. Knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. And really what's going on here, guys, is that you are to submit to the framework in which you must operate. In other words, her individuality. Her individuality. Newsflash, all women are not created equal. Yeah, I mean, amen to that. So, guys, it's our job, right? Know your wife intimately and personally. Know her strengths, her weaknesses, her limitations. Know what helps her. Know what hurts her. Know when to speak and solve the problem that she's describing. And know when to not speak And just listen, because she just needs to say it. Know when to be quiet and to pray and to hug. Know when it's time to take a stand, because there is a time. Know when it's time to lead. And can I say, know the Bible. Know the Bible so that you can make good decisions, right? Because... Face it, some women can take a lot in their life and others cannot. And it's your job to know the difference in your wife. Not all women. (laughs) That would be impossible. Okay, so as we said before, of course the wife is not without opinion. She has things to say and to contribute, of course, And there are times, men, when you should listen to your wife's advice. The great, thank you. I mean, we're rolling now. Okay, so the greatest example in my mind is Matthew 27 and verse 19. You have Pontius Pilate who is about to stand in judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Pilate's wife, the night before, has a dream. And then the dream she she recognizes, and she goes to her husband, and she says, Hey, do not have anything to do with this man. Do not sit in judgment of this man. And he should have listened to her. Can you imagine how differently Pilate's life would have turned out if he'd have heeded his wife's advice? Sometimes... I mean, they just get it right, and you need to know when those times are. Of course, sometimes, you know, they don't get it right. <laughs> and you need to know when those times are, right? 
And so Genesis, again, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was, you know, they didn't have any children. Chapter 16 in Genesis. And, you know, they're like, wow, we don't have any kids. And God promised that our seed are going to be like the sand of the sea. And we don't even have a child. And Sarah's barren. She can't have a child. So Sarah's like, I got an idea. I got this handmaid, Hagar. Why don't you just go into her and have a baby? And then we'll just work it that way. And, you know, Abraham, you know, not a great testimony today. And Abraham's like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, Ishmael is born and, you know, one thing led to another and Israel and Palestine are still at war. Okay, so literally that's where we're at. I mean, he should not have listened to her. Eve gives the fruit to Adam, take and eat. Hey, he shouldn't have listened to her. Um, Job's wife after they have their first loss of things. Curse God and die. Okay, there's times just to say, well, you know, thank you, honey, but no. (laughs) We're not doing that. That is dwelling with them according to knowledge. Knowledge of their individuality, but also knowledge of what's right and fulfilling your role as the leader God expects you to be. Well, the second characteristic is honor. It says giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel. And so the guys, what you need to get on this one is submit to the constraints of her makeup. In other words, her vulnerability. Her vulnerability. It calls the woman the weaker vessel. Okay, so let's not be so elementary that we just say that women are made physically weaker than men. That's obvious. And it certainly does not mean weaker mentally. That would be the height of arrogance. There's some brilliant women in this world. What it means is she's weaker spiritually. What it means is God made women, and in their makeup, with all of the strengths and benefits that they have, they were not designed to be the leader in the family. And so you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, pointing back to Adam and Eve, and it says, And Adam was not deceived in the sin, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. That means that when Adam took the fruit from his wife's hand, he knew what he was getting into. But the woman was deceived by the serpent. He fed her a line, and she went for it. So this level of being weaker, this, this level of, of delicateness, this level deals with really the issue of greater vulnerability to spiritual deception. And that's why God gave men the, the role of being a protector, of being a provider, of being the leader in the family. And let me just say to you guys that if we don't do our job as being the leader that God intends in our families... We open the door to all kind of foolishness and deception that can go on in our lives. And you can blame it on whoever you want, because by the way, we're all really good at that. But the truth of the matter is, we abdicated our position by not stepping up and fulfilling our own role. I'm going to tell you something. A godly woman has no problem falling into her role and following a godly man who loves her like Christ loves her. She has no problem with that because God made her that way. And it goes on and it says, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together. 
That's a beautiful term of the grace of life. That means that your life here and now as a married couple, man, that's, that's God's gift of grace. And, and your life hereafter in eternity, well, of course, that's God's gift of grace. The two become one in marriage and, oh, and in Jesus Christ, you're one also. So, guys, that should affect how you treat your wife. More joy in a relationship today. More rewards in your life in eternity. And it gives a warning because it says at the end that your prayers be not hindered. And typically we always pawn this all off on the guys. Guys, if you don't do your job right, well, your prayers aren't getting past the ceiling. But I think it's fair to say also to the ladies, if you're not doing your job right, your prayers probably aren't getting past the ceiling either. And so it's just something to consider. Well, let's continue the context into verse number 8, and our third point is submissive siblings. Submissive siblings. And it says, finally, be ye all. So now it's just kind of talking to everybody. And we'll go through this fairly quickly because this is review in a lot of areas. But it's generally referring to all of us in God's family. So all of us as brothers and sisters in the Lord, right, as born-again Christians, we all have a family relationship together. And as such, we all need to learn to exercise submission to one another in dealing with one another. Every parent that has children that have grown up just a little and have multiple kids know that it's hard for siblings to submit to one another. There's always that, you know, back and forth and trying to see who's going to get up on one leg up on the other one, and especially when they're young, Right? But when they grow up and they mature, hopefully, you know, they, they, learn, they figure it out. And they get along. And, and you know, I, I'm not going to tell any personal stories. My children are sick of being the personal stories. I'm not going to do that. But I think everybody can attest to the fact that, you know, younger siblings go at it. And when they get older, hopefully they work it out. Well, I think that's what God's trying to point at. He's saying, okay, if you're going to act like babies, you're going to fight. But grow up, be mature, and learn to submit to one another. So we have five characteristics, and we will go very quickly. They're just listed for us in these verses. It's review, so we won't take a lot of time. The first one is one mind. Be of one mind together with your siblings in Christ. Wouldn't that be a miracle? Huh? How about that? Well, how's that possible? Well, it's only possible one way if we all have the mind of Christ, right? If we think biblically, if we think like Christ... If you do that, you'll be just fine. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I could have picked scores of verses. I just picked one. Verse number 10, 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Well, this demonstrates submission to the other's ideas. The second thing is compassion. It's also listed, be pitiful. Be pitiful doesn't mean pity me. It means show pity on another. Show pity to somebody. Okay, so compassion. Jude 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Are you interested in making a difference in the lives of other people? Well, he tells you how to do that. Have compassion. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. So there's a spiritual connection to somebody who shows pity 
on somebody else who may be struggling with something. Show some compassion. If you do this, you show subjection to the other person's pain. As they say, you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. The third thing is love. Love is brethren. And we're not going to take the time. I mean, the scriptures are full of this message, but the the book of 1 John is all about how we need to love the brethren. And so it's the ultimate manifestation of your love for God. And just remember that love is an action. It's something that you do. And so if you will do it, especially when you're not feeling it, right, that shows biblical submission. Then it talks about courtesy. Courtesy is an act of civility. It's showing kindness or honor or respect or preference. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. That's courtesy. In the old days, right, they would literally, you would have the, the exercise where men, in showing courtesy, would bow. And women, what do they call this when they did this with the skirt? Curtsy. Sounds kind of the same, doesn't it? It's a courtesy. It shows honor. It shows respect. It shows preference. It shows submission. Show some courtesy. Show some kindness. Show some love and compassion. One mind. The fifth thing, blessing. And just understand with blessing, take, take your church hat off for a second and just realize blessing means bounty. Blessing means going beyond what is expected. It's going that second mile. It, it's not just meeting the requirements. Uh, we guys are really good at thinking, oh, this is required, I met the requirements, I'm done. How about show a blessing? Go beyond the requirements. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 12 and the beginning of chapter 13. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. And our response is not going to be in the flesh. Can I just tell you, it's a fact. In church, generally speaking, in churches, look, we're not perfect. Far from it. But you find a whole lot more of that going on in here than you typically find going on out there. And you know that's true. And we can be critical of one another in a church, but I'm going to tell you something. You live out in the world long enough, and you come into the church, and you realize, man, this is a refuge. This is a refuge. But just imagine how much better life would be if everybody actually lived this way all the time. Okay, the last three verses very quickly. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The question is, are you interested in living a good long life? So are you interested that your life be good? Are you interested in your life being long? Well, do these things. Watch your tongue. Keep it clean. Don't mislead people. Don't speak guile. By the way, those verses are a quote from Psalm 34, if you're interested. Reject the evil. Eschew evil. Do that what's good. Seek peace. Seek the unity, right? And if you do, unlike in verse 7, it says, well, God will hear your prayers. And if you know a little bit about the Bible, your mind goes to 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, that if you know God will hear your prayers, then you know that you'll have the petition that you asked of him. So do these things, and you know God will hear your prayers. Oh, and by the way, God will answer your prayers. 
So why don't we trust God enough to just follow his prescription? Why don't we just trust God enough to work in and through us and leave the results to him? If you don't do these things, well, good luck. I don't know what to tell you. So the question I have for us, and we're done now, what would God have you to do in response to today's message? I don't know how God's spoken to you. I don't know what's going on in your heart and your life. But what I want to do is just take a second and just pray for you. So if you'll pray with me, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this word and that you would change our hearts. Lord, I want to pray for every wife that's in this audience 